In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen and this is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Thank you for tuning in. I am joined as always by my producer down under, Tim. Good day, Tim. Good day. Congratulations on the new addition to the family and Merry Christmas. Oh, wow. You're covering all your bases there. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well. And uh, I appreciate the... Uh, the congratulations. Uh, thanks again to the audience for patience with the Miss Show last week. I, as you mentioned, and it was for good reason. My second son was born happy and healthy, and uh, the family is now set for uh, for Christmas with two boys instead of just one. So uh, we named our son Hayden Matthew. I have also nicknamed him Ranger. So if you'd like to hear the story of his birth, I told it uh, on my Sunday show, the Matt and Blonde Show. You can find that episode over on my website. That is mattchristensenmedia.com but on the docket for tonight coming up shortly my guest this evening is owen schroyer the infowars host who was uh just released from 47 days in federal prison on december 8th for his role in january 6th despite never actually entering the capitol building or committing any violence later in the show we'll talk the big news of the week the colorado supreme court bans trump from the state's upcoming Republican primary election, and progressive activists insist this is what democracy looks like. It's when elites remove choices from the people. That's what democracy is fundamentally. Of course, um, we'll end the show as well with uh, a few of your email questions and super chats later on to close. Uh, brief programming announcement before we get into the interview. Uh, we will be live next week, Wednesday, December 27th, with some listening material for uh, for you between Christmas and New Year's. I am also hugely excited for next week's guest. He uh, He's Douglas Mackey, the criminal memester that the feds are trying to send to prison for his 2016 Twitter memes, telling people to vote for Hillary by text and tweet. I've made a few videos about that story now. But it's a hugely important First Amendment case. And an appeals court is keeping him out of prison for now to evaluate these important First Amendment questions. Possible that case gets to the Supreme Court as well. But uh, since I spent uh, plenty of time talking to Owen Schroyer this week, I got to get right to the interview. Uh, I've been friendly with Owen for several years now. I first met him um, outside the Republican National Convention in Cleveland in 2016. And um, and I was there interacting with protesters and people on the street and filming a bunch of videos. And then I just see this crazy guy riding his bike around with a megaphone blasting Alex Jones through it. And that was Owen Schroyer. So we got a little bit of interaction there. Since then, he's gone on to be a major player over at Infowars. And uh, it's great to see all his success. But of course, he's spent uh, the last month and a half in federal prison on really complicated terms related to... Uh, to January 6th. And even though I think the legal case against him in this January 6th stuff is ridiculous, and I think the prison sentence was a tremendous injustice, I was very happy to talk to a guy who has uh, found purpose in it and maintained his positivity and his motivation through it. So it really is a testament to his character, 
uh, and his faith, and I'm happy to see those things aren't broken in him. So I had Owen for about 35 minutes. Uh, we will see you on the other side of that, and we'll talk uh, the Trump uh, Colorado Supreme Court decision to, to keep Trump off the ballot. See you in a minute. Gentlemen, friends and family, Owen Schroyer here, and yes, it's official, I have been released from federal prison. I believe God wanted me to have this experience. There was one particular Bible verse that stuck out to me when Paul and Silas were imprisoned, and they talked about praying, and the prayers shook the foundations and caused an earthquake that caused the prison doors to be open so that they could get out. And I believe that happened to me not only once, but twice. Your prayers shook the prison doors open so that I got out of the special housing unit known as the shoe on the inside or confinement. It's the prison inside the prison. And then your prayers once again caused the earthquake that opened the prison doors for me to be released today after serving 47 days of my 60 days. I will tell you, freedom is great. The one thing I learned immediately, never take anything in your life for granted because you never know when it can all be ripped away from you. But the fresh air, the open world, I'm back and I'm ready to go. And welcome back. I am pleased to host my guest for the evening. He is InfoWars War Room host and man fresh out of federal prison for his nefarious role in January 6th, despite never actually entering the Capitol building or doing anything violent at all, actually. World's most dangerous trespasser, Owen Schroyer. Owen, it is good to talk to you again. And uh, thanks for making time for me. I know you're a very busy man right now. Yeah, it's actually funny when you're uh, in prison and it's it's almost a detoxifying experience in a way. Mm. And when you get out, you realize how how toxic really the political media is. And I kind of made the comparison. It's like somebody that doesn't smoke a cigarette for 10 years and then they smoke that first cigarette and they can't stop coughing. You know, their lungs are blown out. But yeah, I, I feel like I've got my legs back under me now and it's all good to go. But yeah, I mean, most dangerous trespasser, uh, pretty pretty accurate. And really, I mean, I would argue I didn't even trespass. I never even went in the building, as you said, but I am the only person ever still to this day that myself, my legal counsel, any BOP person I talk to or long-term inmate I talk to, the only person to ever go to federal prison for a misdemeanor offense. So uh, it's an incredible how many records I'm breaking as far as well, the you, injustice system is concerned. Just so I understand, you're saying good one. ever, not just January 6th, ever. Is that what ever. you said? Ever. Ever. I, I am shocked to learn that. Not that I uh, not that I want to doubt you, but I'm, I'm going to have to look into that first guy ever to go to prison because I take it you didn't have a criminal record prior at all or anything like that. No, no, no violent well, crimes, no drug charges, nothing. The one the one thing with the, the impeachment hearing. Right. But we'll get into that because that seems like that's how they 
that was the grounds they used to put you in there, if I understand correctly. But I'm glad before we get into the specifics of your charge and what exactly happened, I don't want to bury that lead because I was listening to what you said when you left prison on Friday. It seemed like you just you came out and you said, you know, I think that that God had a purpose for me going in there and I learned a bunch of lessons and I, you know, I won't take uh, the great life out here for granted anymore. And I was just curious to get your thoughts on just how your perspective has changed after you've spent, what, 47 days or so in federal prison. Like what what is different about the world or your perspective walking out versus when you went in? Well, it's funny that you say that because. uh when you get back into political media in, in the way and shape and form that I'm in it, it, it honestly, the perspective almost gets lost in the haze, but at that time, it's kind of a calming time and it's, it's kind of a slow moving time. And the things that, that really stuck with me though, and, and I know you hear this a lot and it's sometimes it's easier to take it to heart when you've experienced something that reminds you how precious life is and it reminds you to never take anything for granted. And that's really what it was. You know, when you have, I mean, virtually everything ripped away from you when you're thrown into a prison, you you just, you appreciate it a lot more. I mean, I could give a couple examples. Like there was a, uh, there was a word search I was doing that was desserts of the world. And as I'm sitting here doing this word search, desserts of the world, I realized, wow, I haven't tasted anything in a month, like I haven't tasted anything. You, you, you're probably not surprised to find out not just does prison food not taste good. It really doesn't have any taste at all. And, and I'm sitting there and it's like all these different desserts of the world in this word search. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, so now when I eat a, a, a homemade chocolate chip cookie, it just tastes a little better. Uh, when I have a slice of cheesecake from one of my favorite restaurants here, it just I cherish it a little more. I appreciate that taste a little more. And I think, you know, to apply it to maybe things like getting the most out of life, you know, when I look at what I do and, you know, I, I make jokes sometimes about how busy I am, but that's kind of it too. I want to stay busy and I, I want to be able to share my voice and my story as many places as I can right now, because who knows when I won't be able to do it again? You know, who yeah. knows when I'll, I'll, I'll have my voice ruined uh, I'll have just, maybe I lose my voice. Who knows if my voice gets taken out, I get censored again. Who knows if they throw me in a prison and I can't talk again. Um, trying to spend time with friends and family, though I probably am not the best with that. I probably spend too much time working, but it's really just, it's, it's a message. It's an adage we've all heard before, but once you go through, whether it's losing a loved one or, you know, like I got wrongfully incarcerated, just, you don't want to take anything for granted. Anything life has to offer from the simplest things like a chocolate chip cookie to some of the more important things like like family you just you never want to take anything for granted again you never want to sit on the couch and and let precious time and moments be wasted away yeah you got to live each day with purpose and if you if you can't live the good days with purpose it's really tough to live the darker days with purpose and that's why i was so encouraged to see you come out and I didn't get the impression that you were defeated or that you had undergone some kind of, you know, serious depression or mental health problem or something like that. I mean, this is a guy, it's like, okay, good. I'm glad to see him. That spirit is still alive in him. And, and I was happy to see that that you were able to maintain that through that experience. But I want to talk a little bit about how it is that they put you there and and the specifics of your, your legal trouble here, because I... 
you know, I've, I've seen this from a, I didn't, I didn't follow the day to day of the trial and all the specifics. So I wasn't clear how just being at the Capitol became a prison sentence. And so I've been reading up on that and trying to figure it out. I've got some, uh, some news coverage here from NBC that I was looking at. And I found this quote to be very interesting. Owen Schroyer is one of only a handful of January 6th participants charged with a crime, despite never, uh, despite having neither entered the Capitol nor being accused of committing violence or destruction on Capitol grounds. So the official charge and conviction was a misdemeanor count of illegally entering a restricted area. And I know you mentioned even that's a little bit disputed. Like is the, is the outside of the Capitol a restricted area? I'd be curious about that, but I guess to, to start this discussion, why were you the special one in the prosecution's view and the judge's view? Well, let me, this is a very complex and confusing thing. And obviously the mainstream media doesn't even get any of it right, let alone paint the picture, even half of the picture. And so really this starts back in December, 2019. And I think maybe before I get into the details, it's worth mentioning that because of who I am, what I say and where I work, I already have a massive political target on my back and people are looking for any reason to lock me up, censor me, what have you. So I think that that is, is, is definitely kind of the overarching vibe and energy that needs to be understood when I'm dealing with all of these different circumstances, because you'll ask yourself every time, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Well, because I am a political target of the deep state. So it really starts in December, 2019. Jerry Nadler and the Democrats are holding their sham impeachment of Donald Trump. And I stand up and I say, this impeachment is a scam. It's a sham. We voted for Donald Trump. You're trying to remove him illegitimately. He's innocent. The whole interaction takes, I believe, less than 60 seconds. I don't try to resist arrest. I stand up. The police escort me out. And, and that's it. Now, this happens all the time. This happens all the time in Congress. People stand up and disrupt. Sometimes it's loud and unruly. Sometimes it's just one individual. Sometimes they may even resist a little bit. Sometimes it's large groups of individuals. I'll go down a short list, but this list is very long. We've recently seen the Amy Coney Barrett protesters. We've seen the Brett Kavanaugh protesters. Uh, we've seen the abortion protesters, the climate change protesters. They disrupt Congress. They get loud, shut it down, and they shut down proceedings, by the way. They actually do disrupt proceedings, even recently with the pro-Palestinian protesters. And then if you want to have something that's really more comparable to my case, it would have to be David Hogg. David Hogg stood up and disrupted a, a, a hearing on gun violence, very similar in fashion to what I did. Now, the standard protocol here in specifically a case like mine is you detain the individual, meaning you escort them out of the room, you escort them out of the building, you hold them for maybe a minute or two. And then you send them on their merry way. You say, hey, you can't come in the building again today. That's it for you. Goodbye. They don't charge you. They don't arrest you. This happens all the time in Congress. There's all kinds of case examples. There's all kinds of precedent. Even with these larger groups, that's the story most of the time. Now, if you, if you try to resist arrest or you get aggressive or break property, then, then you might get a charge. But I didn't engage in any of that. So on that day, the police are about to release me because that's just standard. That's what they do. They take you outside. They release you. They tell you not to come back. Well, all of a sudden, somebody comes on their walkie-talkie and says, oh, no, 
we're not allowed to release Owen. We have to charge him and arrest him. So it's pretty clear to me that somebody within the Democrat Party, the higher ups, called the Capitol Police and said, no, please arrest that man because I was pro-Trump. If I had been Jerry himself, have you eliminated that possibility? You know, I would think it would have been Jerry himself, but I've done enough uh, review of the the timetable that I don't think it could have possibly been Jerry unless he can pocket text. Unless he's good enough to pocket text. It's pretty advanced for him, I would think. Yeah, yeah I don't think. Although there's a plenty of room in his pants, though. I mean, his pants are rather large for him. So he plenty of room been, in his diaper if you've seen him waddle around. Well, yeah. yes. So, but no, he he was still uh, managing the hearing. So my guess, it was probably Nancy Pelosi or somebody else that said, make sure that man serves prison time. Okay. Now, this is worth mentioning just for sake of the continued examples of political persecution. A month later, there was another group of anti-Trump protesters at the Capitol. Now, this is all on video. I have all this video. About 40 to 50 anti-Trump protesters inside the Capitol building, not around any hearing areas, just the general area when you walk in and you can kind of look at, uh, get a tour and everything like that. And so there's about 40 or 50 of these anti-Trump protesters. Okay, well, I come back the next day because maybe I just knew this was going to happen and I wanted to make a point. I come back the next day. I stand in the same spot, the exact same spot they were in with a piece of tape over my mouth that said censored. I got arrested and I spent 36 hours in a D.C. gulag for that. Now, eventually, when that when that ticket, when that charge reached the judge's docket, he he ripped it up and tossed it out because that's the normal procedure. You don't charge people for this. You don't arrest people for this. It just doesn't happen. Now, the only reason I bring that up is just to show you the continued double standard and political persecution of myself. However, eventually we get to the January 6th hook that they get me on. They did bring that up as evidence in my indictment. Okay, so I've got the charge from December 2019 for disrupting of Congress. We go through the legal procedures in court. I don't want to belabor this out too long, but I will tell you that the U.S. attorneys wanted me to be banned from Washington, D.C. That was their the entire city, party. not not the Capitol grounds, entire city. Okay. Now, the first two judges, we had we ended up seeing three judges on this charge. The first two judges laughed the U.S. attorneys out of the courtroom. And in response, the U.S. attorneys requested a new judge. They were looking for a judge that would ban me from D.C. Well, eventually we landed on the agreement that I had some community service and I wasn't allowed to disrupt Congress again, to, to put it simply. I couldn't go to an event to, to try to disrupt Congress again. So that was the, the agreement. This was going to last about a year. So it should have been done um, by the time Joe Biden took over the White House. But what happened? COVID. So they could not complete my case. I could not get my service hours processed. And we could not get my probation cleared because COVID shut down the court systems. Okay, so January sixth happens. Wait, so you're saying you're saying you got a community service. You agreed to community service for a deferred prosecution. Yes, and you could not complete the community service because of Corona, as in like people wouldn't allow you to go there, or why? Why couldn't it just the opportunity wasn't there, or what was the obstacle? Well, that was an obstacle for a short period of time, but then in the summer of 2020, of uh, later in the summer, I believe it was. I don't remember the exact date. I was eventually able to complete the community service. I, I did complete the community service. There was an obstacle in early 2020, but eventually the community service was completed. I just couldn't get it processed by the courts. Oh, okay. So it's a paper, a paperwork thing more than just like actually doing it thing. Okay. 
Exactly. So that was done. My probation, as far as the date were concerned, I don't remember when the probation ended, but it, it all would have been done. It all would have been completed, but they could never clear it because the courts were shut down. Okay. So now it's January 6th. I go to the Capitol to, to uh, cover the Trump speech. I go to the Capitol to cover the political events of that day. Um, and I mean, it's all on record. Alex Jones, who I was there with, we tried to stop that from happening from people from going in. We tried to work with the Capitol police to get people out of there and stop all the madness. This is all on record. Even even the government had to admit this in their sentencing memo. Now, it's funny because you bring up is standing outside of the Capitol even trespassing? Well, no. But technically on this day, they had an extended range around the Capitol. Like imagine they're getting ready for the inauguration. Right. So they have an extended range of blocked areas around the Capitol. That's why people had to tear down those barriers, you know, where Ray Epps was standing yeah. and they had to tear down those barriers and everything else. Now, the government's evidence that I knowingly entered a restricted area is a grainy picture of a sign on the ground stomped out, crumpled up. I mean, you can imagine after 10,000 people walk over some paper sign, yeah. barely even legible. And that's the evidence that they submitted that I knowingly entered a restricted area. So that was the hook that they got me on. And that was eventually what they charged me with, which is a misdemeanor charge lesser than trespassing. It's actually a lower charge than trespassing. Now, here's where there's a larger issue that doesn't pertain just to me, but it pertains to the entire Justice Department. What I've learned in this process is that there is no incentive of justice. There's no incentive from U.S. attorneys or prosecuting attorneys for justice. Their incentive is convictions. Yeah. So what they do is they overcharge you, drastically overcharge you, four or five charges of which you're obviously not guilty, and you're facing long jail times and potentially life-ruining situations. So they say, hey, just take a plea. Just take a plea for this one charge, and you don't have to worry about all these other charges that are going to destroy your life. Which or ironically you is what you kind of did in the first place, or you at least tried to make a deal and, and go through it in good faith and, and do the community service. And yet that comes back to bite you, it sounds like. Well, the government was never dealing in good faith with me. Uh, I know that may come as a big shocker, yeah. actually. But no, the government was never dealing in good faith. But so the the incentive was never justice. It's a conviction. And then the judges, their incentive isn't justice. Their incentive is imprisonment. So imagine that you're a U.S. citizen. And the Justice Department incentive is conviction and imprisonment, not justice. Never enters their minds, never enters the equation. But, you know, speaking of the deferred prosecution, so our agreement with the U.S. government during these negotiations that took two years, they requested multiple cell phones from me. And, and, and I, I, I cooperated with the entire investigation. And, and people spun, spun this like, oh, Schroyer sold out Jones or Schroyer sold out Trump. No, it's the exact opposite. I sub, they requested two cell phones and all this electronic data. I gave it all to them. By the way, they still have all of it. They never even gave the phones back. Hmm. I gave them all of it and sat down for a questioning session hours long to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, not just that I'm not guilty of anything, but that nobody in my circle of influence is guilty of anything either. And they don't have anything. Yeah. To hide. And it's a, well, you tell me, did any additional prosecutions arise uh, out of the information that you surrendered out of those phones or out of uh, out of whatever evidence you handed over? No, eventually the news had to admit that, oh, actually, Alex Jones didn't have anything to do with the events of that day and tried to stop him. They eventually had to admit that. Hmm. Okay. And they were 
and they were even publishing stories. So yeah, my my all my submissions were exonerating evidence. And the deal was, hey, give us what we want and we're not going to give you jail time. Yeah. Obviously, that is not what went down. The government requested 120 days in jail. And then the judge acts like, oh, I'm the good guy. I'm just giving you 60. Well, I didn't belong a single day in jail. In fact, my pretrial services officer's sentencing memo said, Troyer has served his probation and should not serve a day in jail. He said, cut me loose. Now, I don't know whether it's the U.S. attorneys that wanted to put me in jail or if they didn't get a call from, I don't know, let's say Merrick Garland that said, make sure he gets thrown in jail. But either way, the unwritten, and my lawyer's regret is not getting it written, the unwritten agreement was cooperate and we won't spend time in jail. Now, the sentencing memo is a whole nother ballgame because they use this thing called relevant conduct, which the Supreme Court just said is illegal, by the way. While I was in prison, the Supreme Court said relevant conduct can no longer be used. So when you look at my 30-page sentencing memo, you say, wait a second, why are they quoting Schroyer's speech on his radio show from before and after January 6th? Well, because they were using it as relevant conduct, saying me calling Joe Biden a communist agent of China and me calling Joe Biden an illegitimate president is somehow relevant conduct to throw me in jail. So that's how I got the moniker of a speech criminal because their whole sentencing memo was about my speech. It didn't even have anything to do with yeah. January 6th. Well, yeah, I was reading, I was reading through that and that's where these stretches really, I mean, they're almost laughable to read because if I understand this correctly, because of that prior interruption with uh, the, the um, impeachment hearing, you have prosecutors saying, hey, Owen, no going to D.C. to be disruptive in any way. And now they're saying, well, the attendance on January 6th and the behavior that day was the sort of disruption that would be in violation of that agreement, if I'm understanding what they're saying. But the the examples of that are are just hilarious. I listen to you going through these with your lawyer. I mean, you have Owen was standing on the Capitol grounds chanting USA, USA, USA. He dared to say 1776, which some would say is, you know, the founding of the country and maybe something we ought to uh, honor and revere rather than view as some sort of uh, betrayal or something like that. But um, uh, they, they, they did get you on what? Death to tyrants, right? That was the one that they really got. He said, he said, uh, death to tyranny, death to tyrants, which I heard you point out is, uh, it's, it's on the Virginia state flag, depending on how you translate that. But, uh, but they did acknowledge here, um, one of your quotes, and I know there were probably many, he said when he was at the Capitol, he being Owen, we want to send a peaceful message to Mike Pence and members of Congress. Hey, we voted for Trump. He won the election. You shouldn't certify the fake vote for Biden. So the, these massive stretches of what would otherwise be absolutely constitutionally protected speech and are in addition to you explicitly saying we want to be peaceful, not law breaking, not violent, any of that, because they had this prior agreement where they say you can't talk in this certain way. They have now, if not betrayed the First Amendment, made it into an aggra an aggravating factor in another legal matter, which is about as close to that line as you could possibly get. I mean, I, I was laughing out loud reading through this sentencing memo. It was, just, it was just hilarious. Well, I would say they have not even graciously crossed that line. I would say my first amendment rights have been beyond violated. I've been imprisoned for them, but you should have seen what went down in the, in the sentencing hearing. You would have laughed even harder because look, the, the U S attorney's I mean, I don't feel bad for them. They put me in jail. But in a way, this is just par for the course. Like I said, beyond me, the incentive is conviction for them and the incentive for the judge is imprisonment. 
So if they're involved in the political persecution of Owen Schroyer, they're still just going about their business, just making sure I get a conviction and get get thrown in jail. But in the sentencing hearing, because, of course, our argument to the judge was, hey, this is a First Amendment issue. They're making this about Schroyer's speech, not what he did on January 6th. So in response, the U.S. government, this is this is actually in the transcript. They argue your honor, this is not about Owen Schroyer's speech, but here's what he said. Yeah, that happened. That happened four or five times in the courtroom. And me and my lawyer are looking at one another. And at this point, we're like, well, this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. She sounds like a complete lunatic right now. She, this sounds like Twilight Zone stuff. She's saying to the judge, this isn't about Schroyer's speech, but yeah. here's what he said. So at that point, we're like, oh, this is great. Their whole case is fried. Well, it didn't turn out that way because I think the whole goose was cooked before we even got into the room that day. Well, I couldn't believe there's there's that standard of like, okay, he said stuff in a way that he wasn't supposed to pursue into this prior agreement. And then there was this line in some of the coverage I was reading too. The government sought 120 days of incarceration, as you mentioned, saying that while Schroyer did not step foot inside the Capitol, quote, many of those who listened to him did. And of course, there's no evidence that I've seen of you uh, telling people to commit crimes, uh, committing incitement, anything like that. And that is such a dangerous, ridiculous standard. That is to say, if I say, if I say, Owen's a big dummy, I don't like him. And someone punches you in the face. Am I therefore responsible for sowing some sort of bad view of you in that person who then committed a crime on behalf of it? I mean, I, that line right there is such an insane thing to say in what is supposed to be mainstream American reporting. I couldn't believe it. People who listened to him, people who listened to his opinions committed crimes that he was not involved in. Couldn't believe it. Well, and and imagine, first of all, you 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 do encapsulate what is the potential here with what they just said. But let's imagine if that standard was actually held to both sides. Imagine all the lies that have been told by the mainstream media or more specifically the left wing media and the Democrat Party that has led to violence, not just violence against Trump supporters, but cities burning to the ground. Yeah. Like Minneapolis, Minnesota. I know you're familiar with that, obviously. So, I mean, imagine if that standard was actually applied, which I think we would both agree should not be applied. But no, they didn't provide any evidence. They didn't provide a single name of anybody to back that claim up. And my guess is they don't have any. Well, if they did, they certainly would have brought a, a more serious charge against you. They would have got you on some sort of incitement to crime, incitement to violence, something like that. The fact that they didn't bring a charge just demonstrates they have no evidence to that effect. But um, you mentioned some appeals and you mentioned some Supreme Court precedent earlier. It sounds like you and your lawyer want to appeal this conviction. Is that what's happening? And if so, what's the status on that and how far are you willing to take it? Well, we have appealed it. It's gone through the first couple levels and the next level will be the Supreme Court. And that's how far we are willing to take it. You know, this is going to be interesting because you've got a couple issues with the Supreme Court. One in general, it's it's really hard to get the Supreme Court to do anything, just generally speaking. Usually the Supreme Court likes to try to remain neutral, especially on politically polarizing issues and some precedent setting things. And considering the nature of my sentence and me in general, they may just be too scared to even take up the case. Now, our argument moving forward is obviously a free speech argument. And, and we do have a little weight behind us, not just with the First Amendment, but there's also legislation in my favor. 
Barack Obama signed legislation when he was president protecting journalists from government persecution. And so basically, if you're going to charge a journalist with with a crime in nature of mine, that you have to actually go through different protocols and procedures, none of which the Justice Department did. And when the FBI indicted me, there was actually a magistrate judge in D.C., uh, Judge Faruqi. He wrote a motion to the Department of Justice saying, hey, did you follow the law when you when you indicted and charged Owen Schroyer? Did you follow the protocols? Did you follow the law? He challenged them on it. And of course, they didn't. But they just said, we don't care. We're above the law. We don't have to follow the law. So we've got a little bit of weight behind us uh, with that magistrate judge. But that's just kind of window dressing. You know, the First Amendment here is the issue. Free speech is the issue. Journalism here is the issue. Now, unfortunately, even though political persecution should be the obvious uh, overlying issue here, that's a harder point to argue, uh, especially because the judge didn't want to hear it either. Even though I've laid out how very clearly this is political persecution against me, uh, judges usually don't want to hear that. They don't want to get involved in that. So this is going to be a First Amendment case. My lawyer has felt good about it at times. He's felt bad about it at times. The other momentum we may have in our favor is the court's decision, the Supreme Court's decision on relevant conduct, which is ultimately what they used against me. So it's going to be an interesting case to get to the Supreme Court, and it it could potentially be one of the biggest First Amendment cases to get to the Supreme Court, uh, certainly in modern American history. Yeah. We are uh, running up on time, so I know this is a question that I, I, I'm probably inviting a half hour more on this. But uh, in your video you posted when you came back, you said, I have a lot of stories from prison and I can't wait to tell them. And um, I'm not going to ask for more than you can deliver here. But if you could spend a minute or so telling me like the weirdest or funniest or craziest, craziest thing you saw on the inside, I'd like to know. And hold on. I wrote a book mm. while I was in there. And so I'm not I'm not plugging it yet because it's not been published yet, obviously. But I am writing a book about all the craziness that I saw when I got in there. I'll tell you what, here's one for you. This is just it, it just shows you the state of things in there. So I get released at midnight. So technically it was Friday the eighth, I believe. So they come to my cell and they release me at midnight. And I've got all kinds of property. I've been sent like a hundred plus books. I've got like 500 letters. I've actually got them sitting right here too. <laughs> all the letters. I've got like, uh, I've got like seven stacks of mail. Just and you'll, like you'll probably respond to every one of them. I bet you're going to grab the pen and do it, man. Well, I read every one of them. I was yeah. going to give a shout out to everybody that wrote me uh, on my rumble channel, but I, I don't know. That's a, quite a time consuming thing. I don't need know a people. strong hand. Yeah. I, I don't know if people yeah. really want to sit through that transmission, but so, so the point is I've got, I've got four trash bags full of property. They release me at midnight on Friday and, and a, an individual from the Bureau of prisons drives me to a bus stop. Now I, I should have had a personal vehicle pick me up. That's what they should have allowed me to do is to have a personal vehicle pick me up. They knew I, they knew I could do that. They knew I wasn't, uh, indigent. And they knew obviously that I had resources on the outside to make sure I had my own ride, but they didn't allow me to do that for whatever reason. They wouldn't let me get a personal ride. So instead I had to get this ride to a bus station an hour from the prison. And that's where eventually 
uh, my ride would pick me up at the bus station. So I was able to get through a liaison, my uh, bus travel information to my ride. Well, get this. The individual from the Bureau of Prisons drops me off at the wrong bus stop. Yeah. Sounds so about right. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting outside in the middle of a Louisiana town I've never been to before in the middle of nowhere at the wrong bus stop from one to two in the morning. Keep in mind, no cell phone, no ID, no nothing. Just me and my four trash bags full of property in an unfamiliar and no unfamiliar way to defend area. yourself, but fists, I assume, in case nothing. things get weird. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there like, well, I don't know what's going on. Where's my ride? I mean, they got the information for the bus stop. They knew when I would be there. So I'm sitting there and it's freezing, by the way, and I don't yeah. have any clothes. I mean, I'm not naked, obviously, but I'm just in a shirt and, and pants. So I'm sitting there in the freezing cold, pacing around for over an hour. They dropped me at the wrong bus stop. Now, luckily, eventually my ride realized, huh, something is up here. He should be here. So they eventually just searched for other bus stops near that one. And eventually and you didn't even have a phone him. or anything to make contact with that person. Oh, my God. Well, uh, federal government at work, as always. Um, well, I'm glad you got home safe. That, of course, of course, it would end that way. That makes perfect and sense. Uh, and I'll tell you, that's an exclusive for your show. I oh, haven't told that story yet. So there you, you go. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, well, I know most people are familiar with your work. They're familiar with InfoWars. But if people want to check out your show, if they want to, if they want to support your legal battle, what's the best way for them to find Owen Schroyer and to do those things? So my pride and joy is my three-hour talk show from 3 to 6 p.m. Central at band.video slash war room. You can also go to owenschroyer.show, and that will directly link you there. I do have a Rumble channel, rumble.com slash Owen. I have a store if you want to financially support me, owenschroyer.store. And luckily, I've just been restored on Twitter. I saw that. How about that? So I've got yeah. my original Twitter account back, the at All I Do one. Is Owen. Yeah, that That's one. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. My original back, at All I Do Is Owen. And then um, I, I basically hired a social media team to start up a, a one for just my media and my political content, at Owen Schroyer 1776. So now I've kind of got like a, a two-headed monster firing yeah, away. Yeah, those guys are good. Talk offline about your production team because I'm like, man, these Owen release from prison hype videos are these are on fire. These are really good. I I got to figure I've out. Got a, I've got a great team. I'm, yeah. I'm look. I'm I'm truly blessed uh, with the people I'm surrounded by. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad to see that you're out, man. Like I said, I'm glad to, to see that you've been able to find positivity and purpose in it. And uh, I, again, thank you for making time for me. But that's our guest, uh, Owen Schroer. You can find uh, him and War Room on InfoWars weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time. That's band.video if you'd like to tune in. Uh, Owen, uh, thank you again, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, my friend. Same to you, man. Good to be back with you. Welcome back. Thanks again to my guest, Owen Schroyer. Find him on Twitter at all I do is Owen or at Owen Schroyer 1776. Of course, find his show War Room on InfoWars at band.video as well. 
want to make sure we have plenty of time to discuss the news of the week before the end of the hour here, which is, um, of course, after several attempts uh, trying and failing in several different states, anti-Trump activists, uh, activist lawyers have finally succeeded in one. They're saving democracy by deciding for you who you can and cannot vote for. And if that sounds counterintuitive, that's because you don't understand the Constitution or freedom. Yesterday, the Colorado Supreme Court issued a decision banning Trump from the Republican primary ballot uh, in that particular state on the basis that the 14th Amendment prohibits insurrectionists from holding federal office, including the presidency, according to this opinion. Though, as we'll get to, that's a contested point. Um, but the ruling directs the Colorado Secretary of State to exclude Trump's name from the ballots in the upcoming primary election. There are seven justices on the Colorado Supreme Court, all appointed by Democrat governors. Uh, this decision was four to three, reversing the decision of a district court judge last month that the um, the relevant part of the 14th Amendment does not apply to the presidency. More on that in a moment. Uh, Trump's campaign had uh, immediately said they are going to appeal this to the Supreme Court, and that is exactly what the Supreme Court in Colorado expected. So in anticipation of that move, the decision from the Colorado Supreme Court stays their own decision, as in it puts their own decision on pause until January 4th. If Trump appeals before then, the pause will continue until the Supreme Court rules. Of course, the Supreme Court doesn't necessarily have to take the case. Um, but given the, the importance of the question here, it seems all but impossible that they would not agree to do that. Tim, you had a thought. Yeah, I'm curious. How confident are you, though, that the Supreme Court will actually take the case? Because you look at 2020, according to Wikipedia, there was 90 cases uh, filed regarding the election. And they, I don't know if they took any of them. Yeah, but this is this is a question of such significant legal importance. If they do nothing and allow this to stand, you're going to see a wave of states doing the exact same thing. And uh, so I, I think it is all but certainty that they agree to take the case. The, the question would be, what do they do after they agree to take it? Do they hear it immediately to decide the issue? Or they could agree to take it and just kind of run out the clock because the, the decision from the Supreme Court in Colorado um, says that that if there's an appeal in process, you know, th this is going to that their decision that Trump is banned is stayed until that appeal is resolved. So I, I would be shocked if the Supreme Court just sits passively on this and allows what they said to carry on. Um, but that is a possibility. Um, as far as the reasoning in this case, full disclosure, I, I've not read the full decision from the Colorado Supreme Court. It's 200 plus pages. Uh, and I've not had time today to read the to read the full majority opinion and, and the dissent. So perhaps I'm missing a few details, but the general theory of the decision is pretty straightforward. Uh, it sounds pretty straightforward, but it is not a legal case without its flaws. So the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution is the relevant piece of law here. Um, and uh, specifically, Section 3. Now, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution was ratified in 1868 after the Civil War, of course, in part to extend certain protection, uh, certain protections from the states, uh, among them very ironically, of course, due process of law, which we'll get to in a minute. But Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was written and ratified to bar members of the Confederacy from federal office. It reads in part, 
No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector, uh, elector rather, of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. So the Colorado Supreme Court is saying simply on January 6th, Donald Trump engaged in insurrection against the United States. Therefore, he is not eligible for federal office. Therefore, his name can't be on the ballot in Colorado. Now, I mentioned that is a, that is a case that has some potential problems uh, that have to be addressed and presumably will be addressed by the Supreme Court on, on appeal. Uh, number one, this would be an assignment of guilt, essentially a conviction without actually a conviction through due process. At least Donald Trump has not been convicted in a court of law of any January 6th offense. Granted, uh, special counsel Jack Smith is working on that, but even that case is not clear cut insurrection as the 14th amendment describes in that case. Uh, Trump is charged with four separate charges, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. That's kind of a stretch to call these even insurrection adjacent. These are decidedly not treason charges, uh, but more importantly, Trump is convicted on none of them. So even if you think these qualify as insurrection under the what is the intended meaning of the 14th Amendment, he hasn't been convicted in court through a trial with due process as the 14th Amendment actually requires. He's just been declared an insurrectionist by the whim of some judges, which in any other context, the Constitution actually prohibits. And the people all over Twitter and in the progressive comment sections and in the left-leaning articles, they will say, well, actually in the 14th Amendment, no conviction is required under that text. Yeah, but that's the same text that protects due process, by the way. And if you can give me any other uh, context in American law where we assign criminal guilt without due process, I would love to hear it. Please name even one. You also have the problem that the charge itself is kind of bunk. It's not, it's not clear that the things that Trump is charged with are uh, what the 14th Amendment means when it says insurrection. Uh, remember, the purpose of the section is to disqualify those who actually took up arms and fought the United States uh, in the context of the Civil War. Trump said some stuff, and that's what the charges say he did. He said some stuff, he even plotted some stuff, according to Jack Smith. But that, that's not the same thing as taking up arms against the United States, which is what we're talking about in the Civil War context. Yeah, Tim, go ahead. And I think it's important to remind people of what he said. He said on January 6th, I know you're going to be, uh, I know you're going to make your voices heard peacefully and patriotically. So he expressed that he expected a peaceful rally, gathering, whatever. And also he said, follow the law when it seemed like they were getting rowdy. And then he told them to go home. So if I'm understanding correctly, he incited an insurrection where he expected people to be peaceful and commit said insurrection from home. Like, am I missing something here? No, I mean, you, yeah, you have a counter case just on the facts that uh, that he was advocating people not to do that. But those are the those are the the quotes and his statements that day that are conveniently omitted as they are in this particular case, too. Uh, you also have an important uh, potential flaw in the legal case here that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it's not clear that it's actually talking about disqualification from the presidency. You will notice that Section 3 describes specific offices. Uh, it references senator, 
congressman, presidential elector, military office. It does not list president. Remember, the office of the presidency has specific qualifications. Natural-born citizen, at least 35 years old. We could be, Trump could be a convicted murderer and still be elected president if that's what the people and the states decide. So if the intent of the authors of the 14th Amendment and its ratification at the time, if the intent was another qualification for presidential office, you'd think the amendment would have specific something specific or specific reference to the presidency, since it is specific about other offices. That's really the case here. It's not just that it doesn't list president. It's that it does list other offices, but not president. That seems awfully odd if they meant to include president uh, in the meaning of this particular amendment. There's also the clue in the oath. Uh, the 14th Amendment says anyone who's taken an oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection is ineligible. Now, note that uh, phrasing, an oath to support the Constitution. The president's oath does not say support. The president's oath is constitutionally defined. The, the, um, the oath for the office of the presidency, instead of support, it says, I will do to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And maybe you say, yeah, well, what's the difference? Aren't those basically synonyms? They, they have very similar meanings, obviously. But the difference is that the Constitution uses that same support language in its requirement for the congressional oath of office and oaths for other office uh, in states or in, in other federal contexts. In the congressional context, the oath is not actually constitutionally defined. The oath it, it, the Constitution leaves the oath up to Congress to decide for itself. Article 6 says senators and congressmen and state legislators and judges and all these other officers all throughout the country, they have to take an oath, quote, to support the Constitution. So you can write, you can write whatever version of that oath you want. It needs to be an oath that supports the Constitution. Well, if the 14th Amendment's bar from office meant to apply to the president, why didn't they list president in that list of offices, as we've discussed? But why didn't they use the oath language? Uh, or why did they, rather? Why did they use the oath language in the generic words that apply to everybody else but the president? Why did they not mention the president's specific constitutionally defined oath? And these are not just kooky arguments that are being pulled out of nowhere. These are actually the arguments that were made by the district court judge in Denver that the Colorado Supreme Court has now overruled. This is not something that's just made up. This, is, this was the status quo in Colorado until sometime yesterday when the conventional legal wisdom suddenly changed. Most fundamentally, though, you want to talk about flaws in this decision. Even if you think that that prior analysis of Section 3 there uh, the, the analysis that Section 3 doesn't apply to the president, if you think that's wrong, where there is ambiguity, where would you prefer to err? Would you prefer to err on the side of, of the tradition of this country, which of course is that people select their representation in government, or would you prefer to err on the side of unelected judges, in the case of the Colorado Supreme Court? Unelected judges declaring who you can and cannot vote for based on their whims. Fundamentally, is this a legal question? Is this really a constitutional legal question? Or is this a political question? And I don't think there's a, a, a question more fundamentally political 
then who should hold office? The idea is we, the people, select those people, not judges. Um, you know, even if you don't agree with that analysis prior, I mean, you, ha- you have to choose something here. You have to choose either the people putting power in the hands of the people or putting power in the hands of these judges. One is a system where you and your neighbors make decisions. The other is a system where elites do that for you. One is a system that assumes power in you, first and foremost. The other assumes power over in that high tower in the castle. Um, In other words, one is a representative democracy, which we're told all the time is supposed to be the highest value. The other is a tyranny. Uh, And of course, these uh, (laughs) we're not short on doublespeak in most contexts these days, but... uh, Man, uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe the the rhetoric being pushed around about how we actually have to take people off the ballot to save democracy. This is some of the most hilarious stuff I've ever read. If you go through the left-wing comment sections or you watch left-wing news, or in this case, you look at one of the very lawyers who worked the case, or at least the president of the organization who, who is providing the lawyers, Yeah, we're supposed to believe that this is somehow a big victory for democracy, that removing choice from the people is democratic uh, somehow. And uh, democracy is when they tell you, no, you can't vote like that, actually. That is the uh, fundamental idea of a democratic system. The activist group that brought this case is called Citizens for Ethics in Washington, The organization president, Noah Bookbinder, tweeted yesterday, quote, this is a huge moment for democracy. He is also quoted in the New York Times story uh, saying that um, that this move is necessary to protect the future of democracy in our country. So democracy is fewer choices. Democracy is when they decide your options for you. Uh, In case you needed any more demonstration of just how upside down these people are. Freedom is when they put you in shackles, actually. We'll be hearing that very soon. Well, then there's the question of, of the practical reality here and, and how this is going to go. Um, as a practical and legal matter, this case is almost certainly a dud in in its likelihood to actually cause a change in how we select the president here. That doesn't mean it, it won't have massive political consequences. I think it will. And I can only assume that's the intent. But for the legal reasons just described, the idea that the 14th Amendment bans Trump is very legally wobbly. The Colorado Supreme Court stayed their own decision pending appeal. Again, they put it on pause so the Supreme Court could take up the case and presumably reverse it, or they can agree to hear it and sit on it for a while and run out the clock, as we discussed uh, earlier. In either of those scenarios, though, nothing changes in Colorado. The only way something changes in Colorado is if the Supreme Court says, no, thank you, not interested. That that decision in, in Colorado stands. And I just I think that's very, very unlikely. So in the more likely outcomes, Trump is still on the primary ballot. Almost certainly he's on the general ballot in the fall when he is almost certainly the Republican nominee. So if their legal analysis is wobbly and their own decision doesn't really change anything, well, what are they doing? And this is why I say the intent has to be to provoke. The Colorado Supreme Court could have just dismissed this case. They could have refused to hear it in the first place. Instead, they made the decision to insert themselves on shaky legal ground, removing power from the people in a way that is highly likely to get undone. And it seems that they themselves understand it in pausing their own decision. So what did they intend to do do here then? Because the consequences are massive. 
this will, in all likelihood, prompt action from the Supreme Court either to reverse the decision or to run out the clock, both of which will be called partisan meddling by Democrats. If the Supreme Court does nothing and this decision in Colorado stands, uh, then you are going to have Republicans doing the same. They're going to call this meddling and uh, and and more states will follow Colorado and they will call that meddling too. And, and they'll be correct in that, at least in my opinion. In other words, because of this decision, half the country is going to think that the other half acted illegally with their candidate. Not that we have a surplus, but that is a recipe for massive distrust in elections and the law. You want civil unrest. You want conflict. This is how you get it. And they acknowledge in their own decision, we recognize the weight and the gravity of this decision, but we have to do it anyway because the law compels us. I don't know, man. I, I try to be charitable, but I'm running very, very low these days. So cynically, I have to wonder if the intent is to provoke a violent reaction from the right, which, of course, is more January 6th style fodder, just in time for 2024 use. Joe Biden and company are itching for it, I think. Just uh, just like the court, Biden is out declaring Trump an insurrectionist. He says there's no question about it. Trump an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think so certainly is self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. There's no question about it, other than he was acquitted in the uh, impeachment uh, trial in the Senate. And he's never been convicted in a court of law in this matter. Yeah, but I, I, I have to think a lot of this is, come on, do some, do some insurrectiony stuff. We keep poking you more and more with the lawfare to remove the decision from the people. Would you please do another January 6th? We really need it. I suspect much of that intent is in play, too. So then the question is, what is the proper reaction or how should this be handled? Uh, and what should be done about it? And, and normally I, I try to be a man of principle. We should explain these things, explain why they're wrong not lower ourselves to the tactics uh, of, of these people uh, because these tactics are wrong. But at some point, you take that to its end, at some point you're just a guy with a gun barrel pointed in his face saying, please don't point guns at me. It's very wrong to do that. And then they pull the trigger. So as far as I'm concerned, we are well beyond the point of intentional provocation with a lot of these moves. Responses that come after this, I think, are defensive in nature. They're not aggressions. Uh, playing by the rules of the game that you've been presented with, in other words. These are not the rules I choose or I think any good person would choose. But if you just sit, sit and accept these abuses and stand by passively, well, actually, that's that's not what the law says and that's not what the Constitution says, so you really can't do that. I'm all in favor of that. But at some point, uh, if, if, if everybody wants, if, if they want to play dirty in these ways, they want to weaponize every power center in the country you have to think of ways to respond. And so some of that is emerging right now. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy is already saying uh, that, that he won't appear on the Colorado primary ballot unless Trump does too. And as a practical matter, again, it's likely that Trump will appear, even if the issue is still undecided at the Supreme Court. Uh, but it is a nice gesture, even if it's only a gesture. Uh, if we're not doing the, um, you know, the people vote thing, Vivek says I'm out and everyone else should be too. 
This was a provision, Section 3, that was designed to bar Confederate members, people who switched to the Confederacy, from actually being able to serve. That's very different than what's at issue here, to say the least. This is a hollowed out husk of what the country was built on. The basic principle that we the people select our leadership, not the unelected elite class in the back of palace halls. That's old world Europe, not the United States. I will withdraw, I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Tr Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. Yeah, and that's really the point. If you believe that this is actually an illegitimate application of the law, to let this stand would, to, would be to undermine the entire system. You wouldn't participate in a system you believe is fundamentally rigged or is being handled wildly uh, in, a, in a wildly wrong way, legally speaking. That's the point that Vivek is making. Um, he called there for Ron DeSantis and others to do the same, of course, never missing a good opportunity to fumble, at least in the presidential campaign context. And I say that as someone who you know, thinks Ron DeSantis has done a pretty good job in Florida as someone watching from afar. But this presidential campaign is, is really struggling. Uh, Ron DeSantis was asked today if he'd do the same. And he said no. Vivek Ramaswamy saying he will remove himself from the Colorado ballot unless Trump's eligibility is restored. Would you do the same? No, I think that's just playing into the left. Um, I think the case will get overturned by the Supreme Court, but I've qualified for all the ballots. I'm competing in all the states and I'm going to accumulate the delegates necessary. That's the whole name of the game in this situation. But I do anticipate that that decision was political and will get reversed. It's very impressive to get it wrong philosophically and politically at the same time. If you believe the Supreme Court will overturn it, then you must believe that the decision was legally wrong. And if the primary is being handled in a legally wrong way, you should not participate in a legally rigged system. Also, if you believe the Supreme Court will overturn it as a matter of pure politics, forget the philosophy and the, and the morality of it, just the, what's wise politically. If you believe the Supreme Court will overturn it, then you say yes, I'll withdraw if they remove Trump because it won't matter because Trump is going to be eligible. So you won't have to withdraw anyway. On the point there, I'm not clear how how giving the finger to a legally bunk system, as Vivek is describing, how that plays into the left's hands, as Ron DeSantis is saying, it seems to me playing the game by their illegitimate rules plays into their hands. But uh, that's the decision that he's going with. OK. There's also the Colorado um, Republican Party. They're saying that if Trump is banned from the ballot, they're going to withdraw from the primary as a party in the state and convert to a caucus system. Now, I'm not sure how the logistics of all that will work, but fair enough. I mean, they're saying we're not going to accept this. We're going to we want the will of the people to be reflected. And if that's Trump, that's Trump. And um, while all of these things are still are, are justified, um, they are still passive moves. This is this is taking my ball and going home stuff, even if the game is a joke and you should take your ball and go home. But I think there's a lot of room here to be active and to do the same sort of things that are, are, are that they are doing. I, I don't know a way to I can't as someone who has not wanted to embrace this tactic for a long time, that you shouldn't lower yourself to their standards. I don't know a way that is going to to teach these people to respect the system and respect 
even basic morality than to start deploying their own tactics against them. These are not the rules that I would choose, but they're, they are the rules that have been presented to all the rest of us. And if we want to get out of this, you're going to have to deploy some of that, I think, to, to, to have some prospect at victory. I heard Dan Bongino talking on the radio this morning, uh, start filing lawsuits to the same effect. You know, the 14th Amendment also says, uh, there's additional language in here. He made this point. No federal office uh, office holder can uh, give aid or comfort to the enemies of the United States. Okay, see weapons to the Taliban. See Iranian spies in the executive branch right now, hired by the Biden team. See money from China that Hunter demanded under threat uh, of his dad's intervention if he wasn't paid. File lawsuits to get Biden off the ballot on the same grounds. Are they likely to succeed? <laughs> no. Are they legally correct? Um, they might be more legally correct than than this case on on um, Trump and insurrection. Uh, so the, 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 whether the for these uh, progressive activists who brought this lawsuit in the first place, their prospect at success was low to begin with. They just said, throw it at all the states or throw it as many as we can. And eventually in one place, it'll stick. Lo and behold, here we are. You had several states reject these arguments. Indeed, you had a lower court in Colorado reject this argument. They'll just keep bringing it until someone picks it up. You think you have grounds to do this to Trump? You absolutely have grounds to do it to Biden. Someone should, you know, we should, we should have lawyers doing this as we speak. There's the impeachment inquiry going in Congress, of course. That's another step. You can turn up the heat and get serious about that. I suppose not to say they aren't serious, but that is something that's been going on for the last few months, and you still aren't um, you still aren't seeing a lot of serious talk about uh, actually bringing the case. And of course, state AGs can start prosecuting too. You you can't prosecute a sitting president. At least that is the official opinion of the Justice Department, and I think that's actually constitutionally correct. Impeachment is the mechanism to remove the president and he can be prosecuted after the fact. But it's not like these people have shied away from from making life hell for the Trump family, too. I mean, there's nothing protecting Biden associates or, or the rest of uh, um, you know, people in Biden's circle from prosecution. You want to have all these ridiculous lawsuits thrown at Trump? Start throwing state AGs, red states, start throwing ridiculous uh, prosecutions at, at Biden's people. Um, they have decided, you know, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That's essentially what they've done to Donald Trump and, and how they're planning to conduct 2024. Well, there's Biden. There's your man. You know, I know this is that's a commie thing to do. Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That's a commie thing to do. And I, I, I want a country where we don't do that. I'm just not convinced that sitting back and, and saying, uh, well, you know, the, that's not something we should do. We shouldn't lower ourselves. I don't I don't see another way. I don't see a, a more morally square way to stop these people from doing this stuff than that. Because if if you don't if you don't put a stop to this stuff, it eventually ends with guns pointed at people. Their guns are pointed at you. Yours are pointed at them in a response. I just, you got to get this under control. You got to teach them that we can't be doing this or we're going to have a chaotic, dangerous country. And so. I think I if if lawfare is the name of this game, I think engaging in lawfare is actually the the most fair way to deal with the problem because the alternatives are terrible. And I hope we don't get to those, but you can see the trajectory here. Okay, I know we're um, well past the hour now. I kind of uh, planned that or I expected that because I know I talked to Owen for a while and I wanted to talk about all this Trump stuff in Colorado. But I did want to make sure we uh, leave time for some audience interaction 
before the end of the stream. So I know we have two email questions. And then uh, if we have any super chats, we'll get to those two on email questions here. A reminder, if you'd like to send a question for the show, you can submit them on uh, my website contact page. That's mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact. Look for the MC Hour questions box or just find the link in the description. That'll send you to the page and you can um, you can look for the MC Hour questions box and send us a question that way. Uh, Tim, do you have those questions for me? Yeah, yeah. And it looks like we've only got one super chat, so we should be able to knock this out pretty quickly. Cool. Okay, so the first question from Juggernaut the Destroyer. With a very nice greeting to start with. Hello, gentlemen of slightly darker skin tone, mm. due to sun tanning, of course. Thoughts on buying used or damaged items and learning a skill to bring them back up to par? Uh, thank you for phrasing your greeting in compliance with the YouTube terms of service. I very much appreciate that. Um, short answer, yes. Uh, whether it is around the house repairs or your car or your computer or guns or whatever, uh, learning how things work is always a worthwhile skill that that will apply in many contexts. And it's not just the obvious practical skills of working with your hands and um, and tools. It's really developing patience too. Uh, rarely do I get as pissed off as I do when I'm trying to assemble or fix things that I don't understand or don't have experience with. But then rarely am I as satisfied as I am when I finally figure it out. So yeah, I mean, I think that's just, especially for for young men, I think that's that's part of uh, manhood is just learning how to fix things, build things, learning how things work. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you can get like broken down but salvageable stuff for cheap and just work on it, that's a great hobby to have. And it's also pretty, it also can be a good uh, money saver, I would say as well. My car, one time my brake lights wouldn't turn off. Did a bit of research, figured out what was wrong, cost me eight bucks and a switch to basically get it fixed. Yeah, probably so a couple hundred bucks what? at the dealer or, you know, whatever, whatever mechanic you might get. Just in call-out fees, probably a hundred, two hundred bucks to get yeah. someone out. So, yeah, that can be a real money saver as well. So, second question for tonight is from Colin. So, there were two primary reactions to the Satan altar that was erected in the Iowa Capitol. I think it was in, like, their Capitol building, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he wants to hear your assessment of them. So the first reaction was a Christian pastor and a state representative who presumably had the power to do something about the altar. Uh, he argued on twin on Twitter that nothing should be done about the altar on the grounds of religious freedom and loving your neighbor. The other perspective was a Christian veteran who beheaded, dismantled, and disposed of the statue on the altar. And yeah. he's wondering which of these stances is more aligned with your moral philosophy and why is that? Yeah, this is a great question because it's um, it's either zero or a hundred. Like which is more aligned with you doing nothing in sort of the name of tolerance or taking matters fully into your own hands and just completely vandalizing the thing. Uh, so let me go through and I, I, you know, I was looking at this question ahead of time. So I wanted to collect my thoughts on it because this is a this is a complicated topic. So I'm trying to be thorough with it. Um, but before I make my choice, let's talk about the Establishment Clause. Uh, and that's the part of the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no law establishing a religion. And now, by extension, um, the states or any other uh, you know, public body or, or governmental body. Then I think of your rights in religious faith in the same way I think of any of your other constitutional or, or natural rights. They're negative rights, rights to be left alone, rights not to be interfered with. I think a lot of the Supreme Court's um, Establishment Clause uh, cases have gone too far in in 
protecting people. Like you have a right not to see religious iconography in a public setting. I think I think a lot of that has gone. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think a lot of that has gone way too far in what the intended meaning of of the text is. So just because you see some religious symbol in a public place or just because a member of Congress cites the Bible, your rights aren't violated, in my view. And I don't think the First Amendment means either that that all religions are entitled to equal presentation in a public square either. If more people in that public square subscribe to one faith over another, I don't think it's a First Amendment violation for them to have monuments, paintings, whatever form of art that is in recognition to uh, of the faith that is of the majority. I, I don't think there's any First Amendment problem with that. I think the, the First Amendment is... is on, on the establishment clause and on faith is fundamentally designed to protect interference against you. That is to say, if the government's kicking down your door to stop you from praying in the way that you want to pray. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. But if you happen to, if you go out in public, you see a cross, you know, you're at a public park and there's a cross in there. That's not your rights being violated, you know? Um, and so, and I, and to that extent, I don't think that means the government owes is that, if, that if Wednesday is, is, um, you know, Wednesday is is Jesus Day at, at at the Capitol in Iowa. That doesn't necessarily mean that Thursday has to be Satan Day. Um, it just requires that those who want to do Satan Day can do it on their own time if they wish. So question one here, does the Church of Satan in this case have a right to the space uh, to space at the Iowa Capitol under the First Amendment? I would say no. Uh, I think it, it it's really a matter of what the people of Iowa want. So long as the state of Iowa is not busting into the church of Satan and arresting them merely for, you know, their satanic, whatever they want to do. As long as those things are, you know, speech based and association based, if they're in there like sacrificing children or something, yeah, but we're talking about like the core of your faith rights, which are, you know, speech, um, viewpoints, association, those sorts of things. Now, question two, if we oppose that satanic monument, this is the heart of Colin's question. What is the correct method of addressing it? And obviously, if I'm choosing to be precise, my selection from Colin's choices is neither. But don't worry, Colin, I'm going to make a selection for you in a minute. If every person has a personal individual veto and can destroy monuments they don't like, that is lawless chaos. If, however, in the name of tolerance, we tolerate everything, there's no morality at all. So the approach I would take is that you enact your preference, you enact your conscience through legal process. There is a process by which monuments or whatever artwork are selected in this venue in the Iowa State Capitol or whatever public venue you're talking about. You get involved in that process. The satanic people who put up this monument, I presume did that to get their statue put there in the first place. So you go to that policymaking body and you get that done. You persuade people you convince people and uh, you make sure that it, you you will your preference to be the outcome there. And it's the same way if you don't like a law in your state. You know, you aren't you aren't entitled to start destroying things because you don't like a law in your state. You can work within your state legislature to change the law and make it better. One thing I'll say about the approach of just the guy who took matters into his own hands and decapitated the thing. If you reject the approach I just described, you think the process is rigged or impossible or whatever else, and you choose to take matters into your own hands in this way, uh, it is commendable to face the consequences with honor. And my understanding is this guy who destroyed the satanic statue, he did that. He just surrendered to arrest. He's facing the punishment. If you choose to break the law, that's your choice. Owning up to it and facing the consequences, I think, is the way to go if you choose that method of civil disobedience. Now, 
I know the question is, you have to pick though. You can't like, you can't try to split this baby and say, well, there's, there's valid points on both sides. Okay. If I have to pick, you do, you should, uh, take action on immorality because allowing immorality to expand without your intervention is wrong. And it builds a world that is bad for your children. It's just that there are better and worse ways to intervene than others. So if you, if I have to be one, I am actually decapitate guy because I think that he is taking rifle action in broad principle against immorality. He's not sitting passively by allowing immorality to fester in his community. I don't think the method by which he did it is correct. And it's not a method that I would advocate uh, in general, but I think the consequences of just sitting back passively with a, a tolerance for everything is likely to produce a society that has no moral concept or compass whatsoever. And I think that's, that's a probably the greater danger here. So it sort of surprises me to reach that conclusion, but that's what I'm going with. I am team decapitate. Do you, uh, do you uh, have any thoughts on my analysis or disagreements, Tim? Uh, no, I, I, look, I don't think it is surprising because I think you can agree with the principle of something but not necessarily agree with the method by which that principle is enacted. Yeah. So I'm not that surprised. I, I kind of think that lines up with a lot, especially for people that have been listening to the Sunday show, that were uh, listening to the conversations on the previous call-in show. I don't think people would be necessarily surprised by that. It's too much blonde influence. Um, That's what happened. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, right. But no, again, I, I think, it, yes, yes, the actions may be, uh, something you can agree with, but you can understand why a person takes actions, even if you think those were the wrong actions to take in order to achieve what it is they're trying to achieve. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I had, uh, in the interest of time, I'll leave it there because we're approaching the Matt Christensen hour and a half. So, yeah, yeah. so let's, uh, let's catch that super chat and we'll call it a night. And thank okay, you, uh, Colin and Juggernaut. I appreciate the questions. Again, if you'd like to send a question to the show, contact page of my website, mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact. Look for the MC Hour questions box linked in the description. Okay. Now, it doesn't look like we have any rumble ones, but I have been chatting with people in the chat, so I appreciate the engagement, guys. I encourage you to keep doing it. Yeah, thanks for tuning in for over there. For YouTube, we've got a couple from Mint 20. So firstly... The argument that there is no mechanism in the 14th Amendment to disqualify someone feeds into the legal theory that that part of the 14th only applies to the Civil War and the aftermath thereof, which I you kind of covered in your your analysis and your yeah, discussion. Yeah, I'm not sure if... Let me read that through one more time because I'm not sure I follow it. Or can you explain that to me in other words? I, mean, I just I feel like I'm misunderstanding due to the phrasing. Well, I think what he's saying is basically what you said. There is no... Um, the argument that there is no mechanism in the 14th Amendment to disqualify someone feeds into the legal... Th yeah, so I think what he's saying is the legal argument of why there's no mechanism in the 14th Amendment to disqualify oh. is because it applied to that specific situation. Yeah, and so it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be a disqualifying mechanism, you know... In, for all in, of time and for every situation. Yeah, yeah. I think is what he's saying. I could be yeah. wrong on that. No, I, I think that's right. I think you're reading it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and a second one from Mint 20. So again, thank you. My opinion, even if the Constitution allows it legally, you cannot tolerate the construction of an open mockery of your civilization's religious in your own uh, religion in your own public building. It is 
uh, asset to society. Yeah, I, I, I think probably the dispute there would just be what do you do against that display? Like what are the limitations of the tactics you can deploy against that display? Uh, but I certainly agree. And I don't think the intent of the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause was to say like, well, if you want to put up a cross, then that means <laughs> pretty soon we're going to have statues to the gay porn kid. Uh, you know, like that, that's, that's its own religion too. You got to memorialize him with a statue. If you're going to put up a cross or you're going to put up any other religious symbol. I don't think that was the intent uh, at all. I think, I think that, you know, to the extent that, um, that, that, that uh, certain populations may have certain religious preferences, certain religious faiths. I, I think the founders were well aware that those things would be presented publicly. I think the intent was just you, the government should not be enabled to come into your house onto your property and force the cross upon you or punish you for you know whatever, whatever um, form of worship or lack of worship you may choose. So yeah, well, I think admittedly, isn't generally admittedly as a non-American, non-American, I thought that was always the point was the government cannot compel a cannot basically create or compel a specific religion. Yeah, but, but it's gone so far. A lot of the court's yeah. decisions have gone so far in the other direction that it's like it's like the the case of the um, the praying coach in Washington. I talked about that case last year. I mean, the fact that he prayed on the 50 yard line after games, which was purely his own personal gesture, that was viewed as a First Amendment violation by some lower courts and by Sonia Sotomayor. Like because he's a public employee on a school owned football field, he ha- actually has no right to pray because that would be an establishment of religion, a state endorsement of religion. And that sort of stuff, I think, is such a twist of what the intent of the First Amendment was. Uh, because You end up with a bizarre backward world where the state is actually enforcing non-religion, which is kind yeah. of an establishment itself, you know? Um, yeah. It's sort of a weird mirror version of, of the intent. But um, anyway, all right, so we're good on Super Chat then, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely looks to be, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we will call it there then. Uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in. I appreciate your patience missing the show last week, but I hope a little extended show makes up for it. Um, if you missed any part of the show or you'd like to uh, you'd like to find more to listen to, there's more content on my website, mattchristiansonmedia.com. If you're new to the Tenet uh, Media channel, a like it, a subscriber, much appreciated as well. We'll be back each and every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. This has been the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Have a great night. And a Merry Christmas.